I'm her grandson. And I've been growing up for a long time now over in Colombia. And for the last few months, I've been up with the Kogi, too, in Santa Marta. And it's the love that motivated my grandpa to go and give his life, sharing the gospel up there, the love that surpasses understanding, that comes from a supernatural place that nobody can really access if they're not right with the Lord. It's Him that gives us that love. And we're not even able to love somebody fully if it's not Him that's loving through us. And He says in the Psalms, uh, My cup runneth over. And He's preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He's taking care of us no matter where we are in what situation. If we think it's dangerous, we think it's going to not be safe, but He makes it safe for us. Um, he fills us with that love so much that it overflows and it flashes on to other people that are around us. That's really the only way we can feel true love. Um, I grew up as a kind of a third culture kid with Columbia, the state. Um, grew up in Florida for a while, then went back to Columbia and um, been getting to know the different perspectives of different people around the world. And um, just recognizing that everybody is uh, different, but they also have unifying qualities that make them the same. We all have so many things that we can relate to, no matter what culture you're from. And they all go back to the things that God has made uh, special for each one of us as a people in Him and as a unified body in the church. The love that you can feel for somebody you've never met before is the kind of love that God gives to us and to us and to us. Um, when I was a little kid, uh, around three years old, I was in a church meeting and I heard my grandpa speaking, Chad, and he said, you need to repent, you need to practice the true gospel, you need to follow the gospel of the kingdom, you need to give your life over to total dedication and renounce all known sin and give your life to the Lord in a total commitment. And I was only three, but I said, you know, that's what I want. I want to have Jesus in my heart. And I want to give my life to the Lord. I said, and they said, anybody who wants to do this, the pastor came up, can come down and to the altar and we'll pray for you. And I said, Mom, can we go? I want to go. And she said, sure, let's go. So I went down. Um, and just in his, his uh, teaching, has really been the main uh, thing that led me to give my life to the Lord. And he taught me so many things um, about forsaking the world, about crucifying the flesh and uh, not letting the flesh overcome us or control us. Uh, kind of his life verse was Galatians 5.16, where it says, um, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the, the flesh. And um, he's been a great influence. He's given me a lot of insight and spiritual blessing, and I think anointing too. Somebody said he has a gift for scholarly, uh, academic style research into the looking at the Word, getting into the Word and seeing what, what the definitions are and what the different phrases can mean and, and translating. He was a Bible translator in the language. And they said, I think that is going to be something that he passes on to you. And I said, yeah, I think you're right. I've always loved uh, scholarly things and looking into studies and, and deeper understanding of the biblical uh, passages and principles and looking through them, finding patterns, and um, more than being a full-time missionary, 
uh, of the primitive tribe. I think that God's calling me to be a Bible teacher. But the main work now in the Kogi tribe isn't really from an outside missionary anymore. It's the Kogis themselves. They're becoming the main missionaries in, in their own tribe. And that's, that's kind of, that's awesome. That's cool because you see God multiplying and getting fruit. And there's at least five uh, strong Christian leaders now that are the main uh, protagonists um, in, the, in the story. They're leaders in their community and they're going and they're building schools and they're helping to uh, meet needs, physical needs, but more than that, spiritual needs. And uh, I've talked to some of them uh, recently and they're, they know that they have to depend on the Lord because they don't have anything else. And you can see a true attitude of trust and reliance and perseverance and giving everything over to Christ and walking out in faith. And um, they've been the ones that have gone and lived it and been through it and been persecuted and they're still strong. Um, we have the, the Christian leader who's a pastor who's translated the New Testament now into Kogi in a version. My grandpa also translated a, a version of the New Testament which has lots of uh, he sat down with uh, Alfonso which was one of the little children who grew up at the feet of the mamas or the spiritual leaders to hear what their higher vocabulary was and that's the vocabulary my grandpa used and it's more of a of a literal precise um, view of uh, translation of the Bible and then the one that Juan Carlos, the pastor, did, it's kind of more like a paraphrased version. So they, they have two Bibles, kind of like we, two styles of Bibles, kind of like we do in English, that they can look at. Um, one is a little harder to understand, because it has a more precise vocabulary, higher vocabulary, and others are easier to understand version. The easier to understand version, uh, they've made a recording of it now, and they have it on audio, so they can listen to it. And that's, I think that's one of the best things for them. The Word of God in the easiest way accessible, the most natural way, listening to it. And that's, I think, is powerful because it has, the Word of God has power to change and to make a difference. And um, there's a company called Faith Comes By Hearing. And I think it's in New Mexico that's uh, sponsoring some audio devices that are solar powered. There's no need for batteries that they can take up and into the mountains and just let drive by the sun and then listen to it. And uh, it's a very well done recording. I was amazed. I said, I don't even understand Kogi that well. I don't really don't understand Kogi at all, but I was just listening to it and I said, this is so cool. I just kept listening to it for 10 minutes and I was like, I don't want to stop because it's a sound so good, even though I don't understand what it's saying. The, the uh, language is very, very nice. It's, um, it's very different from English and Spanish, but it sounds exotic, and and it's um, I think it's going to be a great um, great tool now for more Kogis to hear the word of God. Um, so talking about, uh, I don't think I have much time, but I'll just go through quickly the giving uh, giving over your your mind to the spirit and not to the flesh. As my grandpa taught me, follow the true gospel of the kingdom, which is making Christ king, 
not giving yourself over to what you want or what you think is best, but letting God decide for you. So I'm going to look a little bit into Romans. And in the seventh chapter, it says, starting in verse 13, talking about the law becoming something that leads us to faith. And it says, in 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, told under sin. And then in the verse 19, it says, For the good that I will do, I do not do. For the evil that I will not do, that I practice. Now if I do, do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin is well in me. Um, talking about sin being the, the thing that controls us. We don't even want to follow sin, but we have to. And then it says, um, then I find the law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And the captivity there um, reminds me of uh, being a slave. Jesus said he was sinned as a slave to sin. It makes you a slave, unable to do anything good, unable to follow the good law that you'd like to with your mind, because your flesh is the thing that overcomes and controls. And so then with the mind, I must serve the law of God, with the flesh, the law of sin. And then it talks a little bit further into, into uh, chapter 8. Um, he condemns sin in the flesh, the righteousness that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled enough to not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Um, so that's, that's his main teaching. That's what my grandma, that's what my grandpa told me. Um, walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That's the title of a book we have out here on the table where he talks about it. It's Walking in the Spirit in Columbia. And it's, it's very, very key and very central. It's really the main thing to, uh, to being led by the, by the Lord. Um, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. So, it's the Spirit, but it's also us deciding. We have free will and we have the ability to be judged for our actions and given consequences by a just God because we have decided to do something. And I hear it's talking about us putting our minds, we're focusing our minds on things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. I think that's the, the key. I was looking for this for a long time, and I found it. If you really want to get closer to God, you have to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And that's the decision you make every single day. Are you setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, or are you setting your mind on the things of the flesh? And there's a metric that I think we can apply, which is in your, in your time. You have a very finite amount of time, 24 hours, everybody has the same amount of time, nobody has any less or any more than anyone else. How much of that time are you spending focusing on the Spirit? And more than just repeating prayers and uh, things like that and, and reading the Bible, can it, is it actually changing the way you think and the perspective you have about things that are going on? Do you look at something and say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react 
the way I've always reacted? Or are you going to say, no, I, I'm looking at this and I'm going to see it in accordance and in conformance and in uh, accordance to what the Bible says and what it teaches. I'm going to perceive it the way God wants me to see it. And I'm not going to let that old fleshly attitude rise up and take control of my body any longer. I'm going to perceive it and I'm going to say, this is something that I look at from God's point of view with peace, with love, with this understanding that's given to me from Him and supernatural power in the Spirit to perceive it and to react to it in a way that's pleasing to God. And then after, if you continue to do that, it can become something that's automatic and, and habitual. And you no longer look and see something in a pleasant way. You see it in a godly way. Um, that's where we want to be. Looking and perceiving in the Spirit according to His will not according to our fleshly impulses. And the more, and it's, it's all throughout here. It's in, in, in verse 14 it says, For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And then in the previous verse, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death in the of the body, you will live. It's talking about us taking the Spirit and through the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the body. So, Again, it's, it's a responsibility we have, but it's, it's only with God's help that we have any power to actually do what He wants us to do. So, um, putting to death the flesh means more than just um, saying, well, I don't, you know, that's what I'd like to do. It means actually implementing it and being obedient and saying, I'm not going to let my fleshly impulses overcome me any longer. I feel like doing this in the flesh, I feel like doing that in all kinds of areas in our life to the flesh, that it can be controlled by the flesh. Um, the, the amount of sleep, the amount of food, all these fleshly impulses that take us and, and stress, things that influence us, and they are the things that it's talking about. Crucify, put to death, nail them to the cross and put them on the altar, sacrifice them, and give them up, and say, you know, yes, I'm hungry, but do I follow after it and do I continue to do, it, do it exactly what it says without even thinking? What my flesh impulse says without even thinking? Like most people do? No. You say, I'm going to evaluate it and I'm going to decide. Is this going to control me? Is this what I'm going to do? And an exercise for doing that is fasting, which is a biblical principle. So, denying the flesh, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, things that... Um, that, that need to happen in order for us to live. If you think if you think that your life is predominantly lived out in the flesh and spending your time on the things on the things of the flesh, because we're going to die. But if we put our mind and set our mind in the spirit and use the spirit to put the destiny into the flesh, we will live. Um, that's just one of the things that he taught me, and it's been the most powerful because it's talking about radical commitment to actually give up the things that we'd like to do, the things that we should do. And he'll, he'll reward us for him, for doing that. Um, I think, actually, we have a little more time. Is that right? We have another 10 minutes. Um, so, I was wondering, then, do we have to just give up our free will and say God is going to do whatever he wants to do, regardless? And the answer has to be no, because 
if we don't have any free will, then how can we can judge for what we do? We have to have free will because God holds us responsible for it. And He's going to judge us according to what we have done, not according to what He's already planned. Um, I was talking with Athanasio, one of the Christian uh, leaders. He now has six villages that are no longer under the old leadership of the tribe, but have decided to embrace Athanasio as their political leader and accept freedom of religion in the Bodhi tribe. And they um, are now allowing people to be Christians if that's what they want to be. Not forcing anybody to, but they're giving them that option. Um, in the traditional tribes, they don't even allow anybody to be Christian. And um, many of the anthropologists and people that uh, are not even Kogis themselves favor conserving the Kogi culture along with its religion to be a symbol of national heritage in Colombia. And they say, no, don't, don't touch them, don't let, don't uh, tell them to be Christians, just let them be their, their normal selves and, and will conserve this as a, as a cultural heritage. But then the, the Kogi Christians are recognizing we can still be Kogis, but just not the Kogi religion. We can have freedom of religion to choose to be Christian, but conserve our, our culture. And he, Adonacio, um, has been through a few things. He's been given an ultimatum he's, uh, to leave his village, and he said no. He's been pointed out with, with, with a machine gun and said, if you don't renounce Christianity, we're going to kill you. By people hired by the, by the chiefs of the tribe. And he said, thought about it, and he said, I've served the Lord for 10 years, and I can't, I can't renounce him now. And the leader said, right about right as they're about to shoot him, stop. Um, I admire this young man's courage. Let's just let him go. And they sent him down the trail with the clothes on his back. He got married, and his wife and little baby were crossing the bridge one day, and she slipped and fell, hit her head on the rock, and the baby was never found. And he then remarried and became one of the leaders of the tribe. He has new kids. He has two new kids now. And he was up in a, in a meeting and the leadership was gathered together talking about the things about uh, what to do with the tribe. And a bolt of lightning struck last October, right on top of the house, and 40 of the men were, were united there, and 11 of them were struck dead by a bolt of lightning. And Athanasius himself was hit and burned up the back side of his left leg and up his back, and had to go to the hospital, and he was in a lot of pain. And uh, I went and visited him and took him a blanket and a pillow with my grandma, and said, uh, how's everything going? And he said, I don't understand why it's happening. I try to do what's right, but things keep going wrong, and I'm discouraged. And I said, yeah, I don't know what's going on either. I don't know why God allows this. And finally, um, I started thinking about that, and God showed me something. Um, he is the one that is taking care of everything that we do. In uh, 
He's the one that planned it. He's the one that, that foreknew it because of his knowledge of the future. But he's also given us a free will to decide. And so how does that, how does that uh, work together? Isn't that contradictory? Well, um, in Job, I found a, an answer to that. And in, uh, in the last chapters of Job, in chapter 37 and 38, 36 and standing up to the older men and saying, you have to, Job. You've done something wrong. But it's not that you've, that you've uh, mishandled things that God's given you. It's that you've set yourself up, set yourself up as a judge and said, I think that my faith should be different. I think that God's not treated me fairly. And I think that he shouldn't have done what he did or let what happened happen because it wasn't right. If I could only have, if I could only have my case presented before him and given my my reasons, then I would uh, then I would be uh, justified, and God would see that what happened was really not right. And that's what Elihu says was the sin. If you had done what, if you had just trusted God and done what was right, wouldn't he have taken care of you? And then God confirms it when he speaks to Job. And he says, um, Who is this who darkens counsel, chapter 38, by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And he's talking kind of sarcastically here, I think. If you know everything, then who stretched the line upon it? Or if you know everything, to who were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Or when this morning stars sang together and all the sons shouted for joy? Surely tell me if you know. He's getting at the attitude Job had of saying, I think I know better. And then it says, talks a little bit more about it, but it says, if God had wanted to, I, I was thinking, if God had wanted to, he could have said, you know what, Job? I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to give you everything you need to know so that you can make a, a just assessment and say, I think this is right, and I agree with you. I'm going to explain exactly why I let everything happen, and I'm going to give you a revelation. It's going to be used for other people. It's going to help bless other people in the long run. It's going to be okay. Uh, because of this and this and this and this. But really, he doesn't do that. And I think that's actually on purpose. Because God wants us not to, to trust in ourselves, but to trust in Him. It's one of the main principles of, of Christianity, is putting faith in Christ and uh, and trusting in Him. If, he didn't, if, he, if we knew everything, and if we understood everything, why would we need faith? We wouldn't. And He's made it faith that way on purpose, so that we could that we wanted to trust in Him even though we don't understand. Even though there's not an answer. Because? Because God knows better. And then in, in uh, chapter 39, it says in uh, verse 8, uh, in verse 9, Will the wild ox be willing to serve you, Job? God speaking to will he, be, will he bed by your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in the hole with rope? And then in verse 11, 
Will you trust him because his strength is great? That's interesting. Well, he's talking about a wild ox, but he's, he's using terminology that, that can be applied to a person. I think it's talking about Joe himself. Do I trust you, Joe, because your strength is great? Or will you, and then it says, or will you leave your labor to him, to that wild ox? I think Job was that wild ox. And God is asking him, are you, would I, the one who understands everything, give my, uh, trust you, because your strength is great, or leave my labor to you? Just like we, in our understanding and in our knowledge, are higher than the donkey. And in no way are we going to be able to teach a donkey complex things the same as two of God and us. We're limited, just like a donkey, and we're not able to understand why he's doing everything because we're not because we don't have the same level of uh, intelligence and knowledge and everything that God has. Um, will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it for the threshing floor? What's the grain? Doesn't the, the grain remind you of the harvest? God has uh, prepared for the end of time to bring in the people that are going to be saved? Yes. So he's saying, you're a donkey, and if I, and you're not even able to understand it. And that's, I think, something we need to realize. Us and our fleshly knowledge and our comprehension are not able to understand. And God's given us, um, God's given us the choice. Do we trust or do we not? And it talks about uh, an ostrich. He's, he's deprived her of wisdom, but he's also, he's also giving her a gift. When she lifts herself up to run, she's faster than anyone else. It talks about a horse who's given bravery. It talks about an eagle who's uh, set up and mounted up high by God and made his nest on high. Different, different, I think it's talking about different people. God's given different gifts to each one of us and given, given different strengths. And does the ostrich say to God, why did you make me an ostrich? Or the eagle, why, why have you made me an eagle? Um, no. He, God, God's made it all. He's planned it all up. And he's given each person their role. And he said, I am not willing that any should perish. But all should come to know that the truth will be saved. That he doesn't know any, that he has no partiality when he chooses. And that he is... Um, he wants all to be saved. So, he says, trust in me, because I know, and I'm making this work all together. And there could be things that are limiting factors to God. When he decided to create the world, in order for true free will to be even possible, he might have had to allow things, like the ability for us to see when, when our actions go wrong and and even the necessity of bad things so that we could recognize what they are and choose to turn against them. So, I like what um, William Lane Craig says. More than God planning out things for us before we even were conscious, it's more our free will determining what God planned. And if we, he knows exactly what we would do in certain situations, even before he created us. And that's why he decided to put us in the place we're at right now. Because if we have our heart right, then he's going to give us the things we need. And that's 
That's it. I think that's it. God has reacted to our free will in giving us and putting us in the place that we are in right now to work together His purposes. And He wants us to trust in Him that all things will work together for good for those who love Him and for all the things that are So, um, that's what my answer was when bad things happen. I think it's so that God, God's using this. He's, he's planned this out and He knows what's going to happen. He's given us a text. And this world is a text. He's seeing what we're going to do, how we're going to react. And it's only we would put our faith in Him and trust Him. But despite the circumstances, He'll pull through and He'll work things together to get it. That's it.